0: Good evening, everyone. Thanks so much for coming this evening. Uh, we're going we're to start with praying two verses of a hymn. Uh, it's a, uh, common, or it's a, a Christmas hymn, a Christmas chant. So uh, we'll stand and sing the first two verses of this. Please stand. Number 86. 86 in the hymnal. Of the Father's love begotten, number 86. In the name of the father and the son the holy spirit father we thank you for gathering us together this evening please help us to enter more deeply into the mystery of the sacred liturgy and the mass and the encounter with with your son that we have through that mystery please bless us as we come before you this evening please open our hearts And now we'll sing our hymn.
1: Of the Father's love begotten ere the world began to be He is Alpha and He the Source, the End of the things that are, that have been, and that future you shall see, evermore and evermore. Blessed was the day for her conceiving for the Savior of our race and the child the world's redeemer first revealed his sacred face evermore and evermore
0: In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen. You may be seated. So thanks again so much for coming this evening. Uh, It's actually been on my heart for a long time to do a meeting like this. And originally I just uh, was planning to meet with our musicians, but then as we were doing our parish meetings, I was hearing a lot of feedback about concern about what we're doing and not doing in terms of liturgical music at our parishes. And so it was really important, I guess, uh, I felt like it was really important that I I do a better job of uh, trying to help people to understand uh, where where we're trying to go in terms of, of the music and the celebration of the mass. So I hope that you find this evening helpful. Just maybe a couple things about me and then we'll get started. Um, when I was in sixth grade, I started playing piano for mass at my home parish. And I did that through high school. Uh, and so every, pretty much every weekend, I was either playing piano or I was, I was cantering at, at my home parish and uh, when i was in high school then i took organ lessons so i played a little bit of organ not very much i mostly played on the piano and so all of this all of and i grew up in a very normal parish so all of the songs that people like that we aren't doing right now (laughs) i've played hundreds of times and um And I, when as we select hymns, we'll talk about this a little bit at the end of our presentation. But as we select hymns, it's not, it it doesn't have to do with whether I like something or not, whether whether Father John likes something or not. It's really about trying to make a judgment call on the fitness for the liturgy of what we're of what we're singing. So, I hope to clarify that a little bit more as we go, but. I guess I, I, um, both Father John and I have that in common, that we both play, were musicians in our home parish as we were growing up and played and sang a lot in, in our home parishes. So we have a lot of experience that way uh, in, in liturgical music and, and, and in a normal parish setting. It wasn't until we both went to the seminary that we were presented with what I would say that the church's vision for music and the liturgy was. And so that's when my own mindset started to change about what we're, what we're doing at Mass, what we ought to be doing at Mass. Uh, it wasn't until, wasn't until the formation that we received in the seminary. I think I can speak for both, both of us when I, when I say that. So... What I'd like to do is, I'd like to start out by just, just going through some of the, the church documents on um, the sacred liturgy. I, you know, I want, I'm going to go through this rather quickly, so all of this deserves more time and attention than we're going to be able to give it this evening. But I'd like to start out with kind of a, um, an, an as objective as possible a view of what the church documents tell us about music and the liturgy. And then from there, I'll conclude with maybe why why I'm making some of the choices that I am, or my own kind of personal desire to implement what the church is telling us, but also how kind of the prudential choices that are involved as we're trying to implement what the church is giving us. And this might be a little awkward because I'm going to have to tell Father John to um, change the slide when it comes to that. So, mu- music and the sacred liturgy. Go ahead, Father. Uh, and most, most of the font is going to be bigger than this. Uh, go ahead, Father. Go ahead. Okay, so I want to give you a couple docu- or just a couple citations from a document called Sacrosanctum Concilia. Sacro Sanctum Concilium is one of the four major documents that was produced at the Second Vatican Council. And so, um, why it's so important, it's because it's it's part of the written text that came out of that. It's called the the, Apostolic Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, is its formal name. But most uh, church documents are also called by the first two words of that document in Latin, which is why we say Sacrosanctum Concilium. So what I'd like to do, because people have all these ideas about what Vatican II said or did or wanted us to do. You know, if you go to Holy Trinity, uh, you, you walk into our, our beautiful structure there and you see a, a pretty bland space in front of you. And we at Holy Trinity used to have... Uh, side altars, and a high altar, like like this gorgeous one here. So blessed to be in this beautiful church this evening. And, but, but this is part of what people were told, is that the Second Vatican Council said we had to rip out our altars. And that's what happened at Holy Trinity. Thankfully, it didn't happen here. And that's not what the Second Vatican Council said. So whenever we talk about the Second Vatican Council, it's really important that we go back to the documents. What do the documents say? So that's, what, that's part of what we're going to be looking at this evening. So this first quotation is from number 47. All the church documents are, are numbered according to paragraph or short sections. So this is section number 47 of Sacre Sanctum Concilium from Vatican II. These first few passages are, have to do with the Mass to help us get a sense of what the Mass is. At the Last Supper... Our Savior instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood, by which the sacrifice of his cross is perpetuated until he comes again. Until then, he entrusts the memorial of his death and resurrection to his beloved spouse, the Church. It's good for us just to stop and think, okay, what's the Mass? What do I think the Mass is? And then it's good to compare what I think to what the Church documents say. The mass is because what I think the mass is, or what my experience of the mass might not actually correspond to what the mass actually is in the eyes of the church. So, good for us to hear hear from these documents. Um, what basically what this is saying is that at the Last Supper, Jesus passed on a sacrament to his disciples, by which they would be able to encounter him in his cross and resurrection in perpetuity until the end of time." Go ahead. We have a few more quotes from the Council document on the Mass. Here's another one similarly. This is from number 10 in that document. At the Last Supper, on the night when he was betrayed, our Savior instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood. He did this in order to perpetuate the, the sacrifice of the cross throughout the centuries until he should come again and so to entrust his beloved spouse the church a memorial of his death and resurrection so this quotation is, is really emphasizing the mass as a perpetuation of the sacrifice of the cross so that every time we go to mass where are we going we're going to the cross here's another um from that same from two paragraphs earlier in that same document in the earthly liturgy, we take part in a foretaste of that heavenly liturgy, which is celebrated in the holy city of Jerusalem, towards which we journey as pilgrims where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, a minister of the, holy, of the holy of holies and of the true tabernacle. Do you want to go one more just to see if there's part two? Okay, we can go back. So, I guess what, what I'd like us to think about is just maybe even from those three Quotations regarding what the Mass is. What are the words that we hear repeated that the church is giving us? Words like cross, resurrection, heaven. Uh, I was even just thinking about our church here. We think on that theme of heaven. If we look up. So at, at one point, the Mass would, wouldn't have been celebrated at this altar in the center of their sanctuary, but it would have been celebrated at the high altar at the, at the back. And what, what do we see surrounding the high altar? We see angels. We see saints. Uh, so e- even the artistic representation of the altar and the sanctuary area, which is very traditional throughout Go to many, many traditional Catholic churches around the world, and you're going to see the same thing. Angels and saints in the sanctuary. So what's the art of the church trying to tell us that when we go to Mass, we go to Heaven? And there's, and Heaven is opened, and we have this foretaste of the heavenly Jerusalem where the angels and saints are giving worship to God. And this is actually what we say right before we sing or chant the Holy Holy we always invoke the angels and the saints. And, and the priest says words that, that even indicate that the angels are singing this with us. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of hosts. It's the angel song from the, prophet, from the book of the prophet Isaiah that we're singing there. So it's just good for us to think about. like When we go to Mass, what are we encountering? Jesus Christ crucified and risen. It's the cross and resurrection. That we, that we experience and, and are represented to us. It's a memorial of that when we come to Mass. And there's, there's this foretaste, or this entering into the heavenly liturgy. Okay, so let's pivot now. from If, if that's what the Mass is, then, then what, are we, what does the Church say about the music used at Mass? It's just a limited... <laughs> Um, selection. There's so much we could have done, but this is this is what we have. So this is from that same document from Vatican II. This is number 112. The musical tradition of the universal church is a treasure of, of inestimable value, greater even than that of any other art. The main reason for this preeminence is that, as sacred song united to the words, it forms a necessary or integral part of the solemn liturgy. You can keep going. Um, and now I, there's, a, there's a document written in 1903 by our patron here, Pope St. Pius X. He has this document, which in Latin is called Trale Situ- Solicitudine. And um, he says some really important things about the sacred liturgy, in that document. So he says, sacred music being a complementary part of the solemn liturgy participates in the general scope of the liturgy, which is the glory of God and the sanctification and edification of the faithful. So I just want to point out, he tells us that what you can find in other church documents about the purpose of the mass, which is to give glory to God first of all, And secondly, to make us holy and to edify us, or to build us up, to strengthen us through that encounter. Um, I also just want to point out in that same quotation that he says that sacred music is a complementary part of the solemn liturgy. So you have the liturgical action that's taking place in the Mass, and the music is meant to complement. The music and what's, what's, what's going on musically and what's going on with the Mass ought to work hand in hand. I also tried to find as many images of Pope St. Pius X as I could on, on the internet. So here's a different one. So he continues. It contributes. He's talking about sacred music. Sacred music contributes to the decorum and the splendor of the ecclesiastical ceremonies, and since its principal office is to clothe with suitable melody the liturgical text proposed for the understanding of the faithful, its proper aim is to add greater efficacy to the text. Let's go on, but then I'm going to come back to that, Father. In order that through it, the faithful may be the more easily moved to devotion and better disposed for the reception of the fruits of grace belonging to the celebration of the most holy mysteries. So would you go back to the, just one? So that's the, that's the quotation in full. This is what I think is important about this. First of all, he talks about the sacred music contributing to the decorum and the splendor of, of the Mass. Uh, it's maybe something we don't think very often about, but the Mass is supposed to be something of, of splendor. Uh, something with great dignity. And, and here's, here's what I think is so interesting. He says its principal office, he's talking about sacred music here, its principal office is to clothe with suitable melody the liturgical text proposed for the understanding of the faithful. So the music is supposed to accompany the liturgical text that's given to us by the church. And I'm going to explain what that means in just a second. But again, this, why I think this is so important is because nobody, nobody knows this in our, in our parishes. Um, that, that, there, that the church has a text for us at Mass. And that the purpose of the music is to um, dress up that text, communicate that text to us. Why? Why? Okay, you can go on, Father. So that through it, in other words, through the music that accompanies the text, the faithful may be the more easily moved to devotion and better disposed for the reception of the fruits of grace belonging to the celebration of the most holy holy mystery. So remember, just a second ago, I said that music complements the Mass, that's what the the uh, 2nd Vatican Council said has a complementary relationship with the Mass. So if you have the actions of what's going on, that might be the priest walking, the priest and the ministers or the servers accompanying him walking from the back to the front of church. So that action complemented by a music that complements that action or it could be the act of the faithful receiving Holy Communion during the communion rite. Or it could be the preparation of the altar that happens and the music that accompanies that. So on one hand, we have the liturgical action, the music complementing one another. But here here it says something a little bit different. It says the text of a mass. The text and the music going hand in hand. The music takes the text and communicates it to us. The text of the mass. That's really important. Okay, go, go ahead. Okay, so what are these texts? What's the text of the mass that's, that uh, the, the Holy Father is talking about? Well, first of all, texts that we're very familiar with, the Kyrie, or in English, the Lord have mercy. So I, I, we can speak that, or we can we can Uh, use music to communicate that text. Lord, have mercy. That's 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 an example of of a way that the music accompanies that text. The Gloria, the responsorial song, the Alleluia with its verse, the Creed, I I don't know if we've... I haven't haven't done the creed with music since I was in the seminary. (laughs) But we did it with music when I was in the seminary. I'd love to still do it with music now. The Sanctus, or the Holy Holy, the Agnus Dei, or the Lamb of God. We have all of these set texts that we use at every single Mass that don't change. And can we recite them? We can always recite them. At a daily Mass, I almost always recite these texts. But the Church recommends that on more, um, on more solemn celebrations, which would be Sunday especially, but also other holy days, that music would accompany these particular texts. But there's two other texts that the Church gives us every Mass that also we can either speak or can be accompanied by music, and that is the entrance antiphon, and the communion antiphon. So, what are these things? I, did you have handouts when you came into church? I don't know if we made enough copies, but um, but if you if you have a handout, would you let me see if I brought mine? Yeah,
1: I think. You. If, if you don't have it, I will we'll make a copy for you.
0: The turnout is much better than I expected it to be, so I'm grateful for that. So I just found this, I just found this online. This is from St. Miner's Benedict in Monastery, Kentucky. Uh, so this is for the third Sunday of Advent, appropriate because that's what we have this coming weekend. Sorry, it doesn't work well if you fold it in the way. But if you look on the inside, it says what the intro is is, that's just Latin for the entrance, the entrance antiphon. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, the Lord is here. That's the text that the church gives us for the third Sunday Advent. And I, I never hear that text. Why? Because we always sing it. And so we don't actually hear the text that the church proposes to us because we've chosen to do something different. Now, That's that's a prudential decision that we make. I'm not saying we're going to stop doing that. But but there's been a choice that's been made. It's that we don't hear this text because instead we use a different text. Something from one of the hymns in our hymn. But part of the reason why I chose this particular entrance, St. Tophant, is that is that we, you may be aware of this, that, that the third Sunday of Advent has a special name. Anybody know what it is? Gaudete. Gaudete. is Lent. That's the fourth Sunday of Lent. Gaudete Sunday is, is the first Sunday of Advent, or third Sunday of Advent. Um, why is it called Gaudete? It's because of that word right there, rejoice. Our English translation is, is rejoice, but of course Every, all of our Mass is taken from the Latin. So everything we do in the Mass, every single thing that we do, is simply translated from the Latin, which is what the Church gives us. And that's what the whole Roman Church throughout the world uses, is either the Latin text or a, a translation into the vernacular, our own language, based on that Latin text. But the Latin text says, Gaudete. Gaudete, and then it, it goes on. That's the reason why we call it Gaudete is because that's the first word of the entrance antiphon. Translated in English, the first word for us is rejoice, but we never hear that. We never hear what are what, what we people, it doesn't make any sense even that we call it Gaudete Sunday because we don't, we don't even use the text that gives that Sunday its special name. Because we've chosen to use a hymn instead. Now, again, I'm, I'm, that's, that's a judgment call that that someone has made, and then we just kind of followed it year after year after year. But it's not it's not what the church is giving for us as the text. So when I when I when Pope Pius X is talking about the proposed text of the church, the music that accompanies him, this is what he's talking. And in all the church documents, this is what what we're talking about the the texts like the Gloria, the Creed, the Holy, Holy, the Lamb of God, the music that accompanies those texts, but also the entrance antiphon, which is unique every Sunday, and the communion antiphon, which is unique every Sunday. So uh, I think that's on the back. It's kind of hard to find. So the communion antiphon for this Sunday. Um, is say to the anxious, be strong and fear not, our God will come to save us. Now, St. Minor has their musical notation that they use to accompany that. For communion, we've been using a simple chant so that we get to hear that text. We do that a few times and then we go into a hymn. So that's how we've been trying to introduce that communion antitha. But that's, that's what it is, uh, what, what those texts are that the, the documents are referring to. Oh, okay, keep going. Okay, so then, so here, here I was talking about this choice that was made to do a hymn instead of the entrance antiphon. So in the general instruction on the Roman Missal that's the instructions that tell me how to celebrate Mass. Every single rubric, every single detail of the Mass is written out for me in the general instructions, so I don't have to make anything up. up, up. And I'm so grateful because I don't want the Mass to be Father Matt's Mass. I want the Mass to be the Mass of the Church. So to make sure it's not Father Matt's Mass, but it's the Mass of the Church, I just do what that says. I try to follow faithfully as I can. So this is from that, from this, it talks about the entrance chant. So number 48, in the United States of America, there are four options for the entrance chant. Again, we're talking about that text we just looked at, labeled the introit. This Sunday in English, it will be rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, the Lord is near. So, this is the first option that the Church gives us for the entrance chant. The Antiphon from the Missal. That would be referring to that, what we just read. The Antiphon from the Missal, or the Antiphon with its psalm from the Graduale Romano. Now, Father John has more familiarity with these books that it's referring to than I do. But these are, these are the church's liturgical music books, I guess we could say. And so the Graduale Romanum would have a psalm that it gives that, that would accompany this antiphon. So that's the first option you can do just the antiphon, usually chanting. So it would be like...
1: Rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice, the Lord is near.
0: That would be a very simple chant. I just made it up. But but so the church says you can do that or you can do that with verses of a psalm between it and then you repeat it. So that's what we've been doing at communion. So that chant, and then, and then we would sing, sing a song. The Lord is
1: my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. Fresh and green are the pastures to which he leads me. Rejoice in
0: the Lord always, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's how that would sound. And basically you would do that while the priests and the ministers come, perhaps incense in the altar, perhaps not. But that's option number one that the church gives us. Option number two is the antiphon and psalm of the Grottoale simplex for the liturgical time. So that would be that would be an antiphon for Advent. So maybe not so specific as the, sun, the third Sunday of Advent, but the Advent antiphon, done in a, in a similar way. So first option, second option third option, a chant from another collection of psalms and antiphons approved by the Conference of Bishops or the Diocesan Bishop, including psalms arranged in responsorial psalm or metrical forms. So here, you wouldn't worry about doing the antiphon itself, but you would do some kind of, like a responsorial psalm. That would be chanted then, like, like we do for the responsorial psalm, something like that as the priest would come down. That's option number three. Number four, another liturgical chant that's suited to the sacred action, the day or the time of year, similarly approved by the Conference of Bishops or the Diocesan bishop. And this is the option that we do, that we do every Sunday in 90% of Catholic parishes. Uh, and it, by chant, another liturgical chant, I mean, we, we do a hymn or, a, I guess, a psalms in some places. So it's option number four that basically is the only option available to our Catholic people. But that's not, that's not the church's intention that we would never hear the entrance antiphon. That that text that the church gives us specific to that Sunday, that we that would just be blown off every single Sunday. That's not, that's not the church's vision for for liturgical music. Instead, we've opted for something different. Now, there might be good reasons to opt for something different. This is when we get into, This is when we get into prudential decision making by the pastor. And so maybe the pastor discerns. Okay, well even though the church gives us four options, we're going to do option number four every single Sunday. A pastor can decide that, and I'm not judging pastors who decide to do that. That's what we do, for the most part, in all of our parishes. But again, I, I want to be thinking with the church and, and letting the church dictate what we do or not do, as much as possible, liturgically. So, it's something that I wanted to show you. And that same same general instruction of the Roman Missal says, when you get to the preparation of the altar, it says, same as the entrance antiphon. Those are the options there, too. And when you get to the communion antiphon, same as the options for the entrance antiphon. It says that for all those places. But what do we do at all of those places? Well, in most for the most part, we just sing a hymn. Now we've been trying to work in the communion antiphon. So again, this isn't this doesn't mean we have to change everything that we're doing. It doesn't mean that we have to change anything that we're doing, but I want you to know what the church documents say about sacred music and the liturgy. And maybe it would be good if we opened up some of these possibilities so that we could be hearing these texts that the church gives us. I would love on Gaudete Sunday to hear Gaudete, or at least rejoice, which is what that word means. But in parish after parish, we don't, we, some, sometimes our hymns that we select don't even reflect that particular character of the Mass okay a couple more points that i want to make this just has to do with what the documents say and again there's what the documents say and then there's there's the prudential decisions that par- that pastors have to make using the resources that that we have the, the hard-working musicians that we have what their capacities are what their background is um, but, but I want you to know what the church actually teaches. So let's go on to the, this next. So this is from the same Vatican II document. So next time somebody says, well, Vatican II says this. You say, are you sure about that? This is number 16 of Sacrosanctum Concilium, Vatican II. The church acknowledges Gregorian chant as specially suited to the Roman liturgy. And that's us. It doesn't mean the liturgy in the city of Rome. It means the Roman liturgy. That's why we read out of the Roman Missal. That's why everything's in Latin and translated into our language. We don't have, we don't have a Minnesota liturgy. We have a Roman liturgy. And that's, and that's also why you go to Spain, the liturgy is celebrated exactly the same way. You go to, you go to Iceland or you go to Australia. If you go to Greece, it's probably not celebrated in the same way. Because they, uh, they have a different, they have an Eastern Catholic Church. If you go to a Catholic Church in Greece, it's probably an Eastern Rite Catholic Church. Everything's gonna look way different than we do here.
1: But if you're in the Roman Rite,
0: which is most of the world, then your liturgy is gonna look the same way. Gregorian chants, especially suited, suited to the Roman liturgy, therefore, other things being evil, it should be given pride of place in liturgical services. So let's just take a moment to, to acknowledge that in the last 50 years, this has not happened. That Gregorian chant has not been given pride of place in liturgical services. So again, we can say, well, that's, again, a prudential decision of the pastor. This isn't about judging anybody, but it's just acknowledging that, okay, Vatican II hasn't worked in this because Gregorian chant in most of our parishes is not given private place, even though that's what Vatican II says it ought to be. But other kinds of music, especially polyphony, what's, what's polyphony? Well, it's when. It's when so, so with chant, you have one line of, of notation being sung. Reach your voice, the
1: Lord is near.
0: And, and we would all sing that like, like we do for our responsor, responsorial song. The Lord is
1: my shepherd, there's
0: nothing I shall want. We all sing that together. Polyphony is when you do harmony uh, with, with that. So polyphony is, is different than chant because it adds other voices to that same text. So other kinds of sacred music, especially polyphony, so some of our beautiful choirs do this, are by no means excluded from liturgical celebration, so as long as they accord with the spirit of the liturgical action. Uh, You can continue, Father. Also from this document in the Latin church, the pipe organ is to be held in high esteem for it's the traditional musical instrument which adds a wonderful splendor to the church's ceremonies And powerfully lifts up man's mind to God And to higher things So again, this is another thing People say, well, Vatican II The liturgy should, you know Shouldn't be boring or it should look look different than it is Well, this is Vatican II Now, the Second Vatican Council doesn't say that That we can't use other instruments As long as they are in accord with the dignity Of the Mass and and the liturgical celebration But Organs supposed to be given private place. And why, why is that? Well, first of all, it's part of the tradition of our church. But let's think about what organ does. And I, um, I I remember in my Sunday days um, walking in procession, if I was a server or something, and the organ would be going from the choir loft, and the whole place was filled with sound. And it wasn't, and nobody was saying, oh, it's too loud, it's too loud. It's that you felt surrounded by by that uh, by by that beautiful tone, and even when the singing began, whether it was a chant or a hymn, you felt that it surrounded you. So this this is what's a little bit different than when we have a piano in the corner of the church. Whereas if you're if you're singing in that back corner of St. Pius. You don't feel surrounded or supported by the piano, but that's different than the organ because the organ fills the place with sound. And so when I, you can sing in the back corner of the church when when organ is playing, and you don't feel like you're the only one singing, even if you're the only one back there. Why? Because you're surrounded by this sound, and the organ is the closest instrument to the human voice, which is probably why the church started using it and, and why it became such an important part of the tradition, is because organ the, the tones of the organ mimic the human voice. Okay, that, sorry to go out for a long time on that. Anyway, number 121. The text intended to be sung. So this has to do with the, any, any text of hymns that are introduced into the liturgy, The text intended to be sung must always be in conformity with Catholic doctrine. Indeed, they should be drawn chiefly from Holy Scripture and from liturgical sources. So, this is a big concern with with some of the hymns in our hymnal. Not because the the words are bad, but I'm always looking when I'm looking at hymns where do these words come from? Are they scriptural? Or do they come from a liturgical source or from a writing of one of the fathers of the church? Or was it some 20-year-old sitting in their apartment who wrote, who wrote these lyrics? And, if, and that's fine. I, I was 20, maybe writing some lyrics, once upon a time, my day too. But I wasn't saying, now, now sing them at mass. But yet, that's what we—that's what we do with some of with some of the hymns. Is that it, it doesn't matter who wrote them? Are they Catholic or not? Are they, you know, do they belong to the church? Do, are they a believer? Are they writing from the tradition of the church, or were they just jamming out on their guitar? And now, and it was—it was a really nice song, and it very, became very popular. So now we're going to sing it at the sacred liturgy. See, something's, something's wrong there when that's our attitude towards the text. And again, if I sound like I'm, I'm very passionate about this, and, and if I sound like I'm blaming somebody in particular, I'm not, because this is the church that I grew up in. This is what I did every single Sunday when I played at Mass, every single Sunday. All of the songs I played can fit this description, written by maybe a non-Catholic person, outside of the Catholic tradition, but yet that's the text that we're using for Mass. Does does that have a destructive impact on our faith over time? I think it has to. I really do. We're not being fed the text of the Church that the Church is giving us, but rather these other texts that have no history with, with or from the Church. Okay, just a couple more things uh, this has to do with the use of Latin language. One of the great misconceptions is that Vatican II said no more Latin. It absolutely doesn't. Vatican II opened up the possibility for us to have Mass in English. But this is what, this is what the, do- the document says. Particular law remaining in force, that just means of, of the local your local diocese, the use of the Latin language is to be preserved in the Latin rites. And that's us. But since the use of the mother tongue, that's the vernacular, English for us, whether in the mass, the administration of the sacraments, or other parts of the liturgy, frequently may be of great advantage to the people, the limits of its employment may be extended. So in other words, here's the council fathers acknowledging that It might be really good for some of the Mass or some of the sacraments, some parts, to be used in English or in the vernacular, the mother tongue, for the help of the people receiving those sacraments. This will apply to the first place, to the readings and directives. The directives is like, let us offer each other the sign of peace. It's those little instruction pieces at the Mass. So that's, the Council is saying, we, we can open the liturgy up to the vernacular, or, or English in our case. Most appropriate would be the readings and those instructions. In masses, this is number 54, in masses which are celebrated with the people, a suitable place may be allotted to their mother tongue. English, for instance. This is to apply in the first place to the readings and the common prayer, but also as local customs, conditions may warrant to those parts which pertain to the people. So that would be your own responses responding back. So you don't have, you don't have to say et cum spiritu tuo. You could say and with your spirit. Here's the last part of that paragraph. Nevertheless, steps should be taken so that the faithful may also be able to say or to sing together in Latin those parts of the ordinary, of the mass, which pertain to them. It makes me so mad when I read this. Because this is is the Second Vatican Council, but this is not what we're told, is the Second Vatican Council. So, even though I grew up Catholic, I mean, I didn't know any of the Latin parts or any of the Latin prayers. I didn't learn them until I went to the seminary. But this is, this is what, that the pastors of the church should take steps so that the faithful may be able to say or to sing together in, in Latin those parts of the ordinary, the Mass which pertains to them. So what would that be? It would be the glory of the Our Father, the Holy, Holy, the creed. Those are the parts of the Mass which pertain to the people. They're what we all say together. The Church says, everybody should know those in Latin. That's what the Second Vatican Council says. So um, I hope you've noticed that, I, that um, there's been no... Um, This is something that we haven't really started to do. Um, We haven't done any of the acclamations or anything in Latin, but the church says that we should. So, I mean, I think we, we, working together with the musicians and other people, we have to find common sense ways to reintroduce Latin into the liturgy. It doesn't mean we always use Latin, but this is what the church says. Okay, so this is where my PowerPoint ends. I guess in the last few minutes, um, I just want to reflect a little bit with you. This is kind of my own personal reflections. And again, as a pastor, this is where I have to make prudential decisions and I have to take where people are at on the one hand and then I have to take what our musicians are willing and able to do on another hand. And then on another hand, I have to take what the church teaches and says and and, and try to figure out how to move forward. Now, a pastor can say, well, we're just not going to worry about what the church says. And we're just going to do it the way that we've always been doing it, no matter whether whether that's good or bad, whether the documents say that we should do that or shouldn't do that. So that's one approach. I don't judge priests because it's a, it's a heck of a lot easier <laughs> from uh, but but at the end of the day it's not because i want to go to heaven with you and the, the church leads us to heaven like we don't get there on our own we need the church and so through the sacraments and the way that the church gives them to us tells them that they ought to be celebrated um, I want to walk with you. Now, that doesn't mean we can't change everything. And I have no intention of changing everything overnight or necessarily ever, the way that we do things. But but I want the way that our Mass is celebrated to reflect what the Church asks of us because I believe that that's going to bring the most fruit. And what have we actually seen? You know, a lot of people make to me the comment, maybe some of you have, and I... I, I I understand where you're coming from when you say things like if we don't have more upbeat meaning or music we're not going to get young people back in the church but for the past 50 years our church has been believing young people and during that whole time we've tried to make our music more and more contemporary more and more introducing more and more songs the latest thing we've introduced is praise and worship now into our liturgy You know, when I was growing up, that wasn't a thing. So we would sing, gather us in, and we would sing City of God, all those great 80s songs from the glory and praise hymnal. We did all of that. Those when when I was growing up. And now the latest thing is praise and worship. And that's the constant thing thing that people will say is, well, we gotta have this upbeat music or the young people will leave. They're gone already. Like that didn't work. To to make our music as contemporary as possible, it did not work. So, again, by saying that, I'm not saying no nothing modern in the liturgy. But but let's not pretend that, that what we have been doing has been working. It hasn't. I mean, what what I was playing every Sunday growing up in my parish, like, that didn't keep people at Mass. Even though, you know, we did all of the great old songs. I want our church to be alive and filled with young people. I don't think that is going to do it. Just doing what we've been doing and doing more of it. I I want to have a celebration of the liturgy that's faithful to the church. What if that brings people back? That also doesn't mean that our music needs to be boring. You know, some one of the misconceptions that people have about chant is that it's really slow. It's not supposed to be slow. Chant is supposed to be done at the same rhythm that we speak. It's supposed to have movement in life. If, it's, if, if you hear chant that sounds like, you know, it's like, about to keel over and die, you don't know when it's going to land on the ground because it's going so slow, then it's not being done very well. Chant is supposed to be full of mute movement and, and life. Um, so I guess one, one last thing that I want to say is, is uh, one of, if, if, if you ask someone, or if I were to ask you, what's the purpose of music in the liturgy? Um, a, a very common response is, "Well, it's it, because it, it makes it makes me feel good, or makes me feel happy." Um, this is a, and this is this came out in the comments. Like, we we want happy music at mass. We want upbeat music at mass. But what the what the the, the documents make very clear is that the purpose of music at mass is not to change the way that I feel even though that's the way we think about music. Um, and and I, love, I love music, and I love all kinds of music. I drove Father Herman Joseph nuts. He has very particular tastes in music. I love all kinds of music, and he would dread Saturday nights when I would be blaring rock music or hip-hop or country. All these different styles that I love. I love music. Old music, contemporary music, modern day stuff, I love, I love it. Um, I was noticing, I was driving home the, um, a couple weekends ago, I was listening to Coldplay, which is one of my favorite bands. And I was thinking about some stuff as I was listening to music, and I noticed that I was getting emotional as I was listening to the music and just thinking about stuff. And it just made me realize, wow, this is like, Music is really affecting my emotions right now. Just the other day, I was with my uh, my sister and her and brother-in-law and her kids, and we were we were driving back from dinner, and in the and we were playing um, "Country Roads, to Take Me Home." It's one of my niece and nephew's favorite songs. When we got home, my little nephew Benjamin, who's seven years old, said, "Mom, I just started crying, and I don't know why." It's because he's moved by the music. So, this is the power that music has on us. And, and that's good. That's, a, that's, that's, or at least it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. When I am, um, that's why I crank up the music on a Saturday night. I want it, I'm getting pumped as I'm cooking. My high energy playlist. But, but, you know, with the mass, The point of music at the Mass isn't to make us have an emotional experience. Because Jesus Jesus actually wants to encounter us, and maybe, maybe he'll give me an emotional experience. But if I have an emotional experience because of the music, I might forget even about Jesus at the Mass. I never want us to choose music because that music is going to make us emotional. I want to choose music that helps us to enter more deeply into the, the, the action of the liturgy and the text of the mass, and if that moves me, awesome. That's what moves me at the mass, when I encounter Jesus in the Eucharist, when I see the people come bringing up the gifts mass i mean that's a deeply symbolic action that signifies your gifts that you're laying before down before god that he's going to take and bless and then give and then give back to you it's deeply symbolic if i'm sitting in the pew into my song having an emotional experience with my song that's detached from what's going on here i might have an emotional experience here but it has nothing to do with god just like when i was driving and i found myself emotional as i was listening to Coldplay, play it didn't have anything to do with god it had to do with music or like my nephew listening to john denver started crying that had nothing to do with god i want everything that we do to have to do with god and so we have to be really careful with the hymns that we do at Mass Uh, the hymns that we choose should lead us more into the liturgy help us to focus better on what's happening up here and not not getting lost in in the hymnal, having our own emotional experience with whatever we're we're singing I realize that this is not um, the way that we typically think about music and I also realize that right now we might have different emotions because we, because we really like the songs that we've done for a really long time. It doesn't mean we can't do any of them anymore. It does mean that a lot of, there, there has to be a lot of discernment and judgment that comes with choosing the hymns that we do. There might be other contexts for some of those hymns, like a, a holy hour where we expose the bus of sacrament, and we have music that helps our prayer during that time, we could sing some of those songs that we like to sing before, if they have appropriate lyrics. Songs that maybe don't fit the mass very, very well, but do fit other kinds of prayer. So, um, I I really want to, thank you for coming today there's one last handout that we have i just want to point out to you what's what's on here and this is helping you understand where i'm taking my cues as well thank you tony mm-hmm. so this handout this comes from a this and definitely called Plan for parishes and i just took two little sections from it you can find the whole thing on online on the Abbas system website so just under the three priorities and there are also kingly and prophetic priorities, too. I just gave it This is the instructions for our parishes and what we're supposed to be working on. First is formation of the spiritual life. Second is promotion of sacred music. Third is renewed commitment to Eucharistic adoration. Fourth is promotion of sacrament of reconciliation. Five is emphasis on the important part. How are we doing? We, we have a long way to go, but this is, Trying in these areas. But I want want to tell you what is in the the vision of of our diocese in the fourth plan for parishes. This is number two promotion of sacred music. So, Bishop Lavore is quoting um, Sacrosanctum Conchili, and here he's saying that the liturgy itself is for the glorification of God and the sanctification of the faithful. I was talking about the important music music there. So, I'm going to start with the second the Second Vatican Council attached great importance to the teaching and practice of music in schools and Catholic institutions and to the instruction of teachers for this purpose. Pastors in our diocese should strive to find the best musicians to foster fitting worship in their parishes and instruct them in the guidelines set forth by the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy and the other documents listed above. If at all possible, the musicians themselves should become familiar with these documents. For its part, the and worship committee will renew its commitment to their study so that more and more parish leaders will understand the teachings of the council parishes are strongly encouraged to make use of the organ in the latin church the pipe pipe organ held in high steam It's quoting that that uh, line from the council document that we read to assist in these efforts the diocese will continue to offer some organ lessons to better put parish musicians to play this beautiful instrument and to lead the assembly in some prayer while expanding the use of the vernacular the constitution of the sacred liturgy that's the document that here. Sought to preserve the use of Latin language in the liturgy. This applies especially to to those parts of the Mass that do not hear. Steps should be taken so that the faithful may also be able to say or to sing together in Latin the use of chant in the liturgy. The church acknowledges the glory of chant, especially suited to the Roman liturgy. To help parishes achieve this goal, the diocese will offer chant workshops, etc. So, you know, this this is the way that we walk. It's going to be a long time before we get anywhere close, close to this. I'm really grateful for all of our musicians and all of our characters. And I'm grateful for our musicians who play organ. I'm grateful for our musicians who play guitar. We wouldn't have music at, at a lot of our liturgies if we didn't use some of those other instruments. So, um, I'm so grateful for them and the gift that they make for themselves. And this is, you know, like, this isn't about changing everything, trying to do everything perfectly immediately. This is about discerning together, me and you, so I'm grateful for your feedback, and this is why we're having this meeting, but now we the feedback continues. Um, I'm grateful for your ideas of how we can move Please cover us all with the protection of your mantle. Please help us to to know better your son Jesus, especially in the mystery of the Mass. Uh, Please may we always find our life in him. Please, St. Joseph, our spiritual father, guide our efforts uh, to to worship God at at Mass uh, with the the dignity that the, the church asks of us. Please especially bless and and pray for those who, for whatever reason, no longer come to Mass or have fallen away from the active practice of the faith. May may our efforts uh, to to better celebrate the Mass uh, bring them back home. We commend ourselves to the care of Mary, our Mother, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of now and at the